Father God, thank you for bringing us all here to this place, Calvary Chapel of Vista, to be closer to you, to hear you, to know you, to fellowship with other believers. We know where few are gathered, you're here. So we know you're here. Thank you for this incredible ministry team here and the worship. Such a blessing, Lord. Work in us today. Bless this time. Amen. So good to see everyone. I'm looking around, and some of you I know, but honestly, many of you I, I don't know. That's great. I want to get to know you. I've been attending Calvary Chapel of Vista, this church here, for a little over 18 years, and I'm grateful to be here and to be a part of this wonderful, wonderful fellowship. Um, I'm a lot like many of you. I have a job, so not at Calvary Chapel Vista anymore. I have um, been teaching at Coastal Academy for the last four years. I've been married 27 years. I have children. I have four biological children, and later on in life, God decided we needed to have another son. So sometimes you might see me walking around with a big, tall, handsome black young man. That's our, our boy. And um, I have adopted a shelter cat. I have a really stubborn, naughty bulldog. (laughs) I enjoy reading, especially science-related novels and uh, mysteries, and of course the Bible. There's just nothing quite like the living Word of God. I'm honored that I was asked to volunteer my thoughts today on being joyful and thankful from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And I'm a creature of habit, so I have to change this. You know, a little OCD, I think I needed to turn it around. It was upside down. So now I'm better. I just had to do that. Uh Uh-oh. It just didn't work for me. Okay. I was trying to do it the whole time I was talking to you, and I was finally like, I have to change it. It's not working. Okay. So the NIV translation states, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I have to be honest with you, when I'm asked to speak at Christian events, my first thought is, oh boy, what does the enemy have in store for me? It's a real thing, ladies, I'm telling you. When you're trying to live for the Lord and help other people grow closer to the Lord, the enemy gets to work, right? It's true. So my topic is to be joyful and thankfulness. And so the enemy decided to bring the car demon to the nine highest household. Yep, not kidding. My car literally just stopped, just stopped on the side of the road when I was driving my friend Jeanette and I to Bunko in 91 degree heat. Yep. At the same time, my husband was at a car lot because his car didn't pass the smog check. So I literally called him and said, hey, my car broke down. And he's like, well, my car doesn't work either. So I'm looking for a new car. <laughs> and so he actually just stopped what he was doing uh, to come and help me. And he was actually in Carlsbad. It was pretty funny. And so my son Karsten, at the exact same time, his car was in the shop because he was going to be going away to college, so he couldn't help us. And so we were just trying to get everything all fixed, you know. And, um, and then my daughter's car, same week, decided her Jeep just wanted to stop too. So fortunately, we had just gotten my son Chalen's truck fixed so he could come around and, you know, fix all up and help us. So <laughs> that worked out. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any car issues on my way to Arizona to drop our son off at GCU, so I decided to take my mother's car, right? Thought I'd be great, but the car demon doesn't discriminate if I'm driving the car. 
Yep, we literally just inched our way into GCU, and it's an uncomfortable situation because it's new for us. We've only been there one time before. You're not exactly sure where to go until you see thousands of cars lined up (laughs) around the outside of the school. So you're like, oh, I better just get in line. So we did. We were early. We inched our way in, and there's a thousand cars in front of us. And there's a thousand cars behind us. You have a scheduled time that you're supposed to check into college. And there's a thousand people in the lane next to me. And I'm in the furthest right lane. And my mother's car stops. Yep, right there. And it's 110 degrees. And my son, who doesn't like attention, I looked at him and I said, I do not know how to tell you this. But our car just stopped. And he's like, Oh no. And he said a few bad words. And it's our, you know, our first few minutes on a Christian campus. And I'm thinking, oh no, we can't roll the windows up so people can't hear you. And, uh, oh no. And so I wasn't quite sure what to do, but we were at a standstill anyway. So I get out of my car and all these people are looking at me like, what is this crazy lady doing? I get out of my car and I told, because there's about a hundred people in purple, yay, welcome to GCU. And my son doesn't like that either. You know, he's like, oh, thank you. Go away. And so, um, I talked to some of these really cheerful people and said, how do I get my car over here? Because it just so happened that my car happened to stop right in front of a parking garage. But the area had a cement barrier here and a cement barrier here and just a little space where I could bring my car in because you're not supposed to put a car there, that part of the parking garage. That is where they had all of the police little golf carts, you know, but they were busy that day because there's thousands of people on campus. So I thought, well, maybe I could get my car in there. So these wonderful college students and other men who were there bringing their kids to college actually uh, pushed my car along with my six foot eight son, <laughs> pushing my car uh, into that little space uh, into the shade, which I was really, really grateful for. And so um, it just stopped. And I thought, you know, it's not lost on me that I need to be joyful and thankful because literally at that time I had been working on this study. So I had this opportunity to be, to be thankful. Um, and this really stressful situation um, with my son, who's you know just not happy in this really uncomfortable environment for him, and so I thought, you know, I need to be joyful. I'm not going to let this ruin our experience. So I said, let's just, you know, we've called AAA. Let's just go ahead and pack all of our things, and we'll just walk to your dorm so you can meet, make your your check in. So we did. So we, you know, get his you know, bedding and his things, and we put all of his clothes in the laundry basket, and we pass thousands of people in their air-conditioned cars. <laughs> and they must have known something's going on. Who would, who, crazy enough to do that? And so then we walked to the dorm, and so we had joy. There was joy there, because I got to meet the parents, and we got to meet his roommates. We were on time. Nobody knew what had happened to us, because my son begged me not to say anything, so I didn't. And um, there was a lot of joy throughout the day. You know, we went to this really fun, exciting rally where we met thousands of other lopes and we did the wave. And I was thankful that I had just paid my AAA bill. I was thankful that I could find a charger in the student bookstore so that I would be able to plug my, tr- my phone and charge it and get an Uber later because my, my, my car was going to have to be, you know, charged or towed. And so there was a lot of joy and a lot of thankfulness. I met the counselor. We got a parking pass. And you have to know that I did all of this with a stained dress because in my nervousness, 
that day of having people push me in front of all the people, I did not put the lid back on of this water bottle, and it was full, completely full of red crystal light, ice cold. Yep, and so in my nervousness, you know, of trying to, to wheel the, the car with no power into that little tiny spot into the garage, this entire thing spilled on me. So, and it dried in about 10 seconds. And it was my daughter's favorite dress that I had borrowed. Oh, I know. So I walked around all day with red all over my, my, my outfit. But we did it joyfully. I was just a mess. And, and just so you know, I was thankful for the, the AAA. They actually, the school let them come in. They didn't have to wait three hours in a big long line. They let them come in. And guess what? It wasn't the battery. Yeah, they had to leave. AAA tow truck came. It was the alternator. Yeah. So I was thankful that we actually met up with other people on campus, old students of mine and friends actually from when I was in college and they they were moving their kids in. And so it was wonderful. We actually got a ride home from one of my, actually she was a bridesmaid in, in my wedding. So there was a lot to be joyful for. And to be honest with you on that trip home, her name was Christy, Christy Iverson. And so when we uh, got to go home and she brought me home, I, we actually had this wonderful talk in the car. And I thought, isn't that amazing how you can have a situation like this and God can still bring you so much joy and thankfulness you know, through, throughout the day. Um, so when we got back from our eventful trip, I took my dad to his Parkinson's therapy, which is on Fridays, and I had valet parking. Well, the car demon wasn't done with me. I hadn't had enough, I guess. And so we used the valet parking at Tri-City Medical Center, and I'm actually in the class with my dad, and we're doing all of our funny exercises, you know, all the caretakers with the Parkinson's uh, people that are there. And the valets come in and say, we hate to tell you this, we've got some bad news. I'm thinking, oh no, what could there be? All my cars are fixed now. And it goes, someone hit you. Someone hit your car. I said, how? It was in valet parking. He goes, I know, right? Yes, there was cameras. There was two witnesses, and she still denied it. And uh, I actually didn't actually uh, get the car fixed, because I think she's about 90 years old, and I, I think she couldn't feel it or see it. So yeah, so it didn't end. But throughout all of my car failures, um, and my three sons, three of our sons, we have four, three of them going back to college, one out of state, my mother was hospitalized six, uh, four times in the last six weeks. So she actually had a stroke. She had an AFib um, episode. She fell where she got a gash under her, her neck. And of course, she's on a blood thinner, so the blood was everywhere. She broke a toe. And she had kidney failure. But this isn't the end of the story. The amazing thing is that all of our cars are fixed. My mom's car is fixed. My car is fixed twice. And um, uh, my son's car is fixed. And my mom has a new lease on life because of the wonderful doctors. And I have to tell you, my sweet mom, when she was in the hospital, she always shared Jesus with all of the people that she was rooming with because they would hospitalize her for three or four days. So she would share Jesus with them. And it was such a wonderful example. And she would say, hey, can you go buy my roomy flowers? Because nobody comes to visit them. Would you buy her gifts? And she would give me money. Um, So even in her situation and in her state, you know, she saw joy and, and was thankful for where she was. She had people to come visit her and to be with her and just to sit with her and to talk with the doctors. And so it was a great example of being joyful and being thankful uh, during that time. So honestly, I've spent a lot of time um, helping um, 
and I'm being very busy because when she's in the hospital, my dad lives with us at that time. So I've spent a lot of time helping and, and giving um, and praying. I've spent a lot of time with the AAA guy, <laughs> and <laughs> I spent a lot of time on my knees, and I've had a lot of time very presently to think about this message. Um, I've got to keep going with my system. I don't want to be thrown off here. So I am thankful and joyful, and it was easy to pray continually because I really needed the Lord so much. So ladies, this talk has been an expensive one for me, and it's been an exhaustive one for the nine heises. My husband's like, when are you going to be talking? Because when is this going to be over? (laughs) It's the truth. I always have these kind of stories before I talk. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I love this time of year, don't you? Wasn't it fun to have a little bit of rain? A little bit of a teaser. I got to wear boots, and I got to wear my daughter's shawl, because I'm always taking her clothes. (laughs) So I love October, November. It's just such a fun time of year. And um, as we approach Thanksgiving, I'll see Facebook posts from my friends, what they're thankful for, and then all the crafty people, you know, they make their thankful signs, and you'll go into the stores, and it says thankfulness, Thanksgiving, be thankful, uh, joy, you know. It's just a wonderful reminder, even when you're shopping, to be grateful and thankful and joyous. Uh, during this time. And a slightly different version of the verse I just read earlier in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is from the New King James Version, which I think many of you read as well. And it reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the Thessalonians were from Thessalonica. So, you know, if you're from Vista, you're a Vistan, kind of the same idea. Paul writes this letter to the church he began in Thessalonica. You can read a little bit more about that in Acts 17, 1 through 9, where a mob of people literally drag Paul's friend Jason and a few of his other Christian brothers in Christ, and they were looking, this mob of people were looking for Paul and Silas, and they basically got the officials and said, you need to come here. You need to come here, and we got to look for these people, because they are claiming that there's another king, another king other than King Caesar, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. They didn't find Paul and Silas, and they eventually let the men post bond. And I think that's interesting, because in the Bible it actually says they posted bond, which is really interesting. Shortly after leaving them and being unable to return because of the climate, it wouldn't have been safe for Paul and Silas. And you can find that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17-18. Paul is excited about their Christian faith, and he pens these letters to encourage his church, to encourage the people in his church. And he reminds them in these letters, which are the Thessalonians, of his deep, deep love for them, God's deep, deep love for them. And he also answers several questions of that time that they had about what death meant for the Christian person. Because life after death was a really new concept, wasn't it? Before, if you just died, you were were dead. And so that was a really new concept. So he addresses that also in Thessalonians. He brings comfort to also his church and to the people there. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, we read that when you die, you will still be under God's care and be with the Lord forever. Great cause to be joyful and to be thankful. This reality, ladies, um, 
for us, we should just, as Christian ladies, we're so liberated, really. And, and Paul really liberates women in his teachings and his writings as well, and which was a really new concept as well, right, back in that time. So we should be so thankful um, and be so joyful. What can we glean from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18? What can we learn as Christian women from this part of the letter that Paul writes? First, be joyful always. Rejoice always. Be joyful always. I feel the women in this fellowship alone are just an amazing examples of what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17 are, aren't they? They're just amazing. First, be joyful. Many of you know Jeanette here in our fellowship. Raise your hand if you know Jeanette. Do you know Jeanette? Isn't she amazing? She's been widowed several times, yet she may be one of the most joyful people that I know. She hasn't let her circumstance take away her thankfulness and joy. Plus, she's just a prayer warrior, and I just love Jeanette. Some of you may know Donna, Donna Cummings. She's one of my dear friends. She's a cancer survivor with a son who's also a cancer survivor. David also was one of my high school biology students, um, and she has continued medical and prosthetic leg issues, and yet she's this prayer warrior, and she has such an amazing attitude and is always praising the Lord and seeing his goodness through her difficult circumstances. As women, we often let circumstance get in the way of being joyful, don't we? I think women are the creatures of circumstance. I would be happy and joyful if. I would be happy and joyful if I could just have a car that worked. Not kidding. A romantic relationship. Oh, if we could just get engaged or if I could find a husband, be married, have that job, make more money, get that house, get pregnant, have more children. If I could lose weight and have a fit body, get a house with more room, a better car, a bonus, a raise. If I could feel better, if my kids could just get into that school, if my children would behave, get on that team. If they could just have the right coach, get playing time, get that loan, get into college, stay in college. (laughs) graduate from college, if I could change doctors, if I could have a good friend, get that promotion, just reinvent myself, if I could have grandchildren, just find the right church. I could be happy and joyful. But Paul doesn't write, be joyful if, just be. Just be joyful. I personally know several women in this fellowship who've actually lost a child, and they not only are still getting up in the morning, they are still parenting their other children, serving other people's children at the homeless shelter, advocating of life and adoption, and serving this church and their community when they could have just drowned in their heartache. Be joyful, ladies. Rejoice even when it's a choice. Secondly, Paul writes to never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying, ladies. Pray all the time. Talk to God. Thank the Lord daily. Praise the the Lord daily. Pray about everything and never stop. Never stop. Pray about how your day can be productive. Pray for God to show you how to encourage your husband. Pray protection over your children. Pray how you can make wrongs in your life right. Pray for opportunities that are a good fit for you to serve your church and your community. Pray for forgiveness when you're wrong. 
Pray for those in your life that haven't met Jesus to accept him in their life. If you are uncomfortable praying, start by praising him for everything you are thankful for in your life. You can just start with your health. Be thankful for your health. We're all here. And you may not even be feeling that well, but you're here. And that's amazing, isn't it? Being in a free country, aren't we blessed? Going to this wonderful, wonderful church where you can freely worship without repercussions from your government. I've met and worshiped with people in other countries praying for a pastor, just praying for a structure to hold their meetings, praying with just people they can worship with or other women that were like-minded like them. Aren't we so blessed? We are so blessed, ladies. I just love our fellowship of women. I will often pray for people driving in front of me. This was a big thing that I, that I did, especially when I had all of my babies uh, driving in the cars. I would pray for people. I'm a big journaler. So for me, honestly, when I commune with the Lord the best, it's when I journal. I love to journal. But I found that when I had all the little babies and all my children, that it was just hard to do that. I mean, when can you journal? You're like nursing and you're you know, trying to feed them and keep them from being you know, alive you know, and, and from fighting with each other and those type of things. And so um, I just couldn't commune that way with the Lord. So that's when I learned about Christian radio, because I'm old. That was a long time ago. Christian radio was new back then. So I would listen to Christian radio, and then I would drive them to all their little events, and I would pray for people, you know, especially those people with the fish on the back, the little feet, you know, you know, those people. And especially me having, you know, a love for science. And I also found that if you really look around you, if you have kind of the same routine, especially me now with my job, I'll see the same people. I don't know if you do, but I do. I see the same people and I'm thinking, I am praying for you today. I prayed for you last week and I wonder how your life is changing. I am praying for you. So pray all the time. We have no idea really what all of our prayers could really be doing and how they could be affecting uh, people's lives. So really being in the car can be a truly productive time for you and for other people. So, and in truth, I'm a big prayer warrior. I love prayer. And so if I've met you, I've prayed for you. Guarantee it. If I've met you, I've prayed for you. It's one of the things that that I learned early on, and I love to do that. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're confused and need direction and guidance. Pray for those around you. Pray for your friends and family. And talk to God about your day. And things you noticed are from him. The more you talk to God, the more you know him, and it becomes easier to recognize when he is guiding and directing and convicting you. Think about your best girlfriends, right? When you have a conversation with her, you probably know when something's up, right? You know she's sad or if she's distressed or she can't wait. She's bursting to tell you something. I have a sister, just one sibling, and we can just look at each other, and I can know if she's annoyed she's mad at me, if I'm getting the silent treatment, or if she's really excited, she can't wait. You just know because of the amount of time that you spent with your sister or your girlfriend, right? We need to do the same with God. We really need to give him our time, not for us. Well, I guess for us. <laughs> he already knows us, but so that we know him and we know how he's communicating with us. We need to have that time so that we can hear him better and know him better and um, so that we can truly understand what his will is for our life. I need some water. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'm not a pretty drinker. All right. (laughs) I need a straw because then I am glad I didn't spill it on me today. (laughs) So 
Raise your hand if you've had a situation that you knew clearly God was telling you to do something. Raise your hand. Anyone? You know God was telling you to do something. How about raise your hand if God told you to do something kind of crazy? Raise your hand. God told me to go to Uganda not too long ago. That was crazy. God is notorious for doing that, by the way, telling us to do crazy things. Hey, Noah, go build an ark. Go save humanity. (laughs) Joseph, go marry a pregnant woman. She's carrying God. (laughs) Joshua. Go walk around Jericho. You're going to lead the nation of Israel to the promised land. David, go use stones and a slingshot, and you're shot, and you're going to go kill a giant. Goliath, Jonah, go preach to the Nineveh people. Uh oh, <laughs> he didn't do that, did he? Well, he did eventually. He had kind of a smelly consequence, didn't he? But <laughs> all of those people were ordinary people, just regular people. And God used them in extraordinary ways because they prayed, they were prayerful, and they knew God, and they knew when God was speaking to them. I mean, it really takes a special relationship to go build a huge ark and to do it for so many years, right? You have to be confident in your relationship with the Lord. And I often hear people say, oh, I'm not so sure if God wants me to do this or not. And we need to get away from that. We need to be in a place where we talk to God so that we hear him clearly, crystal clear, and know this is what he wants me to do, and this is what he doesn't want me to do. And Thessalonica, Thessalonians is a great example, it's pretty clear, of, of what um, God expects us to do and how to live out our lives. My husband and I, uh, went on a trip this summer, and we were celebrating our 27th anniversary, and so we decided to go to uh, Niagara Falls, New York, and do this really fun trip. We went to Canada, and uh, we went to Montreal and Quebec, and so we did a lot of touring, and one of the things that we love to do is we like to go into cathedrals and churches, especially Notre Dame's. Notre Dame means Lady of, and so there, you'll find there's you know Notre Dame of Paris, Notre Dame of Montreal, Notre Dame of Quebec. Well, I happened to be in Notre Dame of Quebec, and I was sitting there, and we kind of have this unspoken rule, my husband and I, that when we go and we're touring, we don't rush the other person, and he doesn't rush me because I do all this research. We love history. So I'm on a mission, you know, when I'm there at the cathedral. I know what pictures I want to see, and I have kind of a hobby of graveyards um, because I like to see famous people. Well, they're dead, but they're gravestones. <laughs> and even if they're not famous to other people, I've read about them. They're famous to me, and I want to see it and be there, and um, it's kind of exciting to me. And so I was there, and I had looked around uh, Notre Dame, but I had a burden. I had a burden, and uh, it was consuming me that day. And I had two sons that were going away to college, and they weren't walking with the Lord. And I had this, this great burden in my heart, ladies. And I'm in this Catholic church, and I'm sitting there, and I have a spiritual experience. And I decided I needed to pray amongst all the tourists that are there. And when people go into these beautiful Notre Dames, I have to say they're very respectful. They're from all over the world. You hear different languages and hushed voices. People take their hats off. It's very reverent. It's very, very reverent. And so I decided I didn't want anybody to sit in my row. And so in these big cathedrals, you'll find that they usually have a pulpit, not only in the front, but usually on the side of the cathedral, and that little bench will be, be short. So that was kind of like, you know, I sat there with my backpack, and that was my message, like, nobody sit by me, including my husband. I just needed to, to deal with what I needed to deal with in my heart with the Lord. And so I'm praying, and as I'm there, I kind of looked under the pulpit, because I was kind of hidden a little bit, and there's a special area on the side 
of this cathedral that was just for the parishioners, just for the people that regularly attended this cathedral and that were regular parishioners. And so I had noticed that an older couple, they looked like grandparents, they looked to be in their, their 70s. And they came in and they had three children. And the three children were about ages eight to, to maybe 12. And they came in, they were very somber. And they went and they lit candles. And in a Catholic church, when you light candles, usually it's in remembrance of someone who's passed away. And it's really a beautiful way to tribute someone if it's their birthday or anniversary and just in remembrance of them. And so they went, they lit the candles. I noticed they each lit two. So it looked like it was for two people each. So it was all of a sudden there was these, a lot of candles lit. They put their arms around each other and they wept. And they wept. And my heart was so touched, and I was already emotional from what I was, uh, my burden with my sons. And so I sat there, and I cried. I don't know these people, but I cried. And for some reason, I have no idea why I did this. Well, maybe I do now later. But I got up, and I think I just wanted to be closer to them. I just, like, wanted to be behind a pillar. I knew I couldn't go in there, right, because I'm not a prisoner. I'm not Catholic. But, you know, I went over there, and I just wanted to pray. I just wanted to be as close as I could to pray for them. The type of weeping that they prayed was like a mother who's like, a child. It was a deep life that was cut short, and, and they were weeping. And after I felt like I had prayed, and I had cried with them, even though they didn't know me, um, I looked, and I happened to see something I hadn't seen before in the church. And it was this beautiful lit inlet, and I noticed people from all different languages were, you know, quietly talking, and they were writing, and they had it directions in different languages. Even in Japanese, I was amazing. And so I went over there, and I, I wrote prayers. I wrote prayers, because you could write prayers. You could, they wanted you to be really specific, name and who you were and um, what your prayer was. So I did. I wrote really specific prayers for my sons. And I did this at all these different churches. I figured out that all these different cathedrals, that they had an area. And I would go searching for that area so that I could have all these priests and nuns and parishioners praying for those two boys. And my husband at one point was like, what are you doing? And he's like, we're not Catholic. And I said, I'm going to get all those, those nuns and those priests and all those parishioners who say they're going to pray for my kids at 2 o'clock on Wednesdays. They believe in God. I'm going to have them pray for them. I'm going to have an army of people in Canada praying for those boys before they go to college. And he was like, okay, Rochelle. And so, so I did. And, and they all did something different. Sometimes you would write it and put it in a basket, but sometimes you wrote it in a book. So I could go years later and I could see my prayers. I could see my prayers. So anyway, we get back from our trip, and um, I'm preparing for my sons to go to college. And we were here in the church. It was the day before my son and I were supposed to leave. And Pete actually was preaching, Pete Dunham. And he said, I hope that you don't hear me today. I hope you hear God. I feel the same way today. I hope you don't hear me. I hope you hear God. And he did an altar call. And my son... (laughs) My son did not just get up out of his seat. My son leaped. He leaped out of his chair. He was sitting right over there. And he didn't just walk down this aisle in this church. My son ran. He's six foot eight. He ran down this aisle to the front and raised his hands, was praising the Lord. I don't know what he and God were communing, but my thought was all those priests and all those nuns. And all those Canadian people were praying for him. And 
We left the next day. I went to college, and I stayed there a week. I mean, maybe most people don't stay a week. They drop their kid off for college, but I did just because of his personality. And so I was there, and we actually went to church. I wanted to find a church for him. So we went to a church, and my son doesn't raise his hands. He doesn't worship and pray that way. He's been in our church for a long time. He's heard the word. But honestly, two of them, of my sons, um, had not been coming to church regularly. They had work on Sundays, that kind of thing. So they only came on Christmas Eve, Easter, and Mother's Day because I made them, you know? <laughs> so, but he was in church, and his voice was so beautiful. It was cleansing to my soul to hear my son sing and praise the Lord. And I know he has a long way to go, right? Just because they rededicate their life to the Lord doesn't mean that everything's going to be peaches and cream, right? Because we know the enemy is going to work. And that's going to be, you know, work on him. And uh, so we're always calling him and trying to encourage him and and send him verses and pray with him. Um, So we'll see with him in his life. We all know that it's hard, right? And then we came home, and then a week later, our other son, going away to college, um, we took him out, and he wanted to bring a girl. He met a girl. We're like, how did you meet a girl so soon? You just got there. <laughs> but I guess now people talk. You know, there's like talking, so he was talking to her. And, but they're not really talking, they're texting. So they have young people talking, texting. So we take her out to dinner, and the first thing that she had asked of is um, said, do you believe in God? And he told my husband, she asked me if I believe in God. And my husband was like, well, what'd you, what'd you tell her? Because we would all like to know <laughs> what you told her. Because, you know, you've been like on the fence. And he said, yes. I said, yes, I believe in God. And I'm pursuing my relationship with the Lord. And her name is Hope. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, her name is Hope. So have hope, ladies. When you think there's a situation that you've prayed for and prayed for and you're exhausted of praying for it, don't give up. Keep praying. Be faithful and be joyful and just keep praying because we've had recently some huge answered uh, prayers in their lives. So pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Know God. He wants to do great things through you, but you have to know him well enough so that when he's speaking to you, you hear him. Thirdly, in this verse, Paul states for us to be thankful in all circumstances. Seems crazy. I've heard and witnessed some powerful testimonies of people that were thankful in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, not some circumstances, not a few circumstances, but all. That's powerful. And I'm not talking about if you're in an abusive situation. I just want to clarify that. If you're in an abusive situation, the Bible's clear about that. So um, not that circumstance. Some of you may have heard of a remarkable story written by Corey Tin Boom in The Hiding Place. She, her sister, father, and three other family members were captured in the Netherlands by German Nazis and arrested on suspicion of hiding Jewish people during World War II. And when they were arrested, there were Jewish people there, and they stayed safe even though they were arrested. Three were released, but Corey her elderly father, and her sister, Elizabeth, remained in captivity. While Corey and her sister, Elizabeth, known as Betsy, um, to intimate people, my family, actually, we were friends with her because we lived in Brunsum in Holland and Mannheim in Germany. My dad was stationed there. We had three tours, so Brunsum, Mannheim, and Bremerhaven. And so my dad had ministry with Corey. And so we would have lunch with her and, and meet with her. And... Um, 
Anyway, and they were in the concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Their father contracted actually TB, tuberculosis, in prison at age 84. And if you weren't Jewish and you were in a concentration camp, it was really, really powerful amongst the Jewish people because people knew. They knew because you looked really different. The Dutch looked completely different than the Jewish. The Dutch are the tallest people in the world, right? So they really stood out at concentration camps, but they had the utmost respect at those concentration camps because people knew you had sacrificed for humanity. You had sacrificed for their people group, for the Jewish people. People respected and they listened to Betsy, to her sister. And the Jewish people would literally sit and listen, even in their exhausted state, at the end of the night in Corey's bunk room. And she would preach the gospel from memory. Once while she was teaching from her memory, she quoted this verse that we're learning about today from Thessalonians, to always be joyful and pray and be thankful in all circumstances. And then she said, we should even be thankful for the fleas. Corey was so angry afterwards, and she said she couldn't do it. I can't do it. She said, actually, quote, you've gone too far. You've really gone too far. But her sister persisted and said, you must pray that you are thankful even for these fleas. God had told Betsy that they all needed to be thankful for the fleas. It was like a word from the Lord. And Corey's like, I love you and I respect you, but I just cannot think for the fleas. But, you know, she loved her sister enough and eventually said, okay, I'm going to start thanking the Lord for the fleas. I'm going to start thanking them. And so she did it begrudgingly at first. But later, when she was released, she learned that they were the only bunk room that was infested with fleas and that the Nazis would regularly gang rape the other bunk rooms full of women. And theirs was the only bunk room that did not get gang raped because the Nazis knew that they were full of fleas and they would wear those wool coats. And once the fleas were in there, you couldn't, you know, get rid of them. Be thankful in all circumstances. Her family saved about 800 Jews and resistors during the Holocaust. Corey's mother had died actually before the occupation. Her father perished just one week in Shevenigan prison after he contracted TB because he was 84, you know, so he got it and he died a week later. Her sister Elizabeth never married or had children, and she died at the age of 59 while in Ravensbrück concentration camp, uh, which is right near Berlin. Their brother, William, actually, he didn't go to a concentration camp, and he, he did great things. He was a pastor. He was a wonderful man. And he died in 1946, just shortly after uh, the war um, was over, and he died of TB. And so Corey got to see him, but not very long after she was released. The man Corey had fallen in love with and married some, had actually married someone else, and uh, she never married. She never had children, but she did survive. She survived. If anyone had a reason not to rejoice and not to be thankful in all circumstances, it was Corey. She had lost her entire immediate family most of them do, to the Nazi occupation. Yet she rejoiced, she prayed, and she was thankful. She went on to serve God in many unusual ways. One area of ministry she founded was really unpopular, honestly, with the Dutch. She founded a home for ex-Nazi snitches trying to rebuild their life after suffering shame by society. Citizens would call them out, not serve them, 
or give them jobs, and they were shunned. They were shunned from society because they felt they were responsible for so many deaths in their family and their neighbors and their, their countryside. Corey gave them a home, and, and she literally bought a building as they grappled with their own cowardice, their shame, their sin, and their newfound forgiveness in Jesus. Corey and her work became an international symbol of peace and reconciliation. The Nazis released her from prison at the age of 52, and she started publicly speaking and writing books and founding ministries in her 50s until her death in 1983. Look how God used her because she chose to be joyful, pray, and be thankful in all circumstances. She refused to be a victim. She refused to be depressed. She refused to be bitter and not be thankful in her circumstances. Really, what's the alternative, ladies? If we choose not to be joyful, pray, or be thankful in all circumstances, what are we going to have? Depression, bitterness, being ineffective, broken relationships? In my book club, um, which is actually tonight, uh, we're reading Wise Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free by Nancy Lee DeMoss. And if you don't buy this book, book, just go into the Calvary Chapel Vista bookstore and literally just read the foreword um, by Elizabeth Elliot. She's so powerful. I feel like everything she writes is just quotable. And so she actually was also widowed. Her husband was killed by a poisonous arrow of people they were actually trying to evangelize to. And she wound up living with those indigenous people with her daughter for years and years. And uh, many of them became Christians. So she's just another inspirational woman that chose to never stop rejoicing praying and being thankful in all circumstances. In this book, uh, Lies Women Believe, there's an entire chapter, an entire chapter devoted to lies women believe about circumstance, about circumstance. So that just tells you something, right? An entire chapter, because so many of us fall into that. Some of these lies are, quote, if my circumstances are different, I would be different. Unquote. Or another lie about circumstance is, I shouldn't have to suffer. I shouldn't have to suffer. Or, my circumstances will never change, and this will just go on forever. My circumstances will never change, and this will go on forever. In Matthew 6, 21, 15 through 19, and Luke 6, 45, the Bible tells us, your circumstances do not make you what you are. They merely reveal what you are. And in Philippians 4, 11 through 12, it tells us, if you are not content with your present circumstances, you are not likely to be happy in any other set of circumstances. And in Hebrews 13 through 5 and James 1, 2 through 5, convey that you may not be able to control your circumstances, but your circumstances do not have control, do not have to control you. And in Genesis 45, 8, Job 1, 8 through 12, Psalms 139, 16, Matthew 10, 29 through 31, and Romans 8, 28, all are dealing with circumstance and our circumstances. And they tell us, all of those verses throughout the Bible about circumstance, that every circumstance that touches your life has first been filtered through God, has been filtered through God and his fingers of his fingers of love. In Psalms 5.11, David writes, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that these who love your name may rejoice in you. Ladies, don't let your circumstance define you or your relationship with the Lord. Be joyful. 
Be joyful always. Pray continuously. And be thankful in all your circumstances because this is God's will for your life. Thank you. Be blessed. (laughs)